In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Every now and then I'll have uh, the privilege of having a conversation with someone who finally reveals something to the effect of, you know, God could never forgive me for what I've done. You know, maybe it was something recent, or maybe it was something a long time ago. Maybe it was a lot of somethings uh, kind of all stacked up. And if that's you, in any form or fashion, if you wonder if you have outsinned God's forgiveness or outdistanced His love, then this gospel passage today is for you. Last week, uh, Father Trent told you that we would be focusing during the Easter season on the theme of restoration. Using the regular lectionary text, we'll be focusing on restoration. And last week was about the restoration of a disciple who had some serious doubts, Thomas. This week is about the restoration of a disciple who has done something wrong. Last week was about Thomas. This week is about Peter. Last week we heard that the disciples were all gathered together and they were afraid. And the doors were locked. And Jesus came anyway and stood among them, and the disciples were amazed. They were overjoyed. And then we heard about Thomas's doubts, and we heard about Jesus coming a week later and saying, touch my scars. You know who we never hear about? Peter. And that's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, Peter's usually taking a leadership role with, among the disciples. He's speaking up. He's saying what is on everyone else's mind. His mouth kind of gets him into trouble sometimes. Part of what we love about Peter. And throughout Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus has brought Peter along for some uh, some of his most important moments. Think of the transfiguration. Think of raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And we could go on and on. It was Peter that first said to Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ. It was Peter who cut off the ear of one of the guards in the garden the night before Jesus died. It was Peter, that the women got out of bed after they saw the empty tomb. So when Jesus shows up after his resurrection to all the disciples, where's Peter? In last week's gospel passage, Peter's absence is conspicuous. I mean, he's there, but if you think about it, it's kind of like he's hiding in the corner. You know, he's avoiding making eye contact. I'll just be in here doing the dishes while you guys catch up. Why is that? Well, surely it is because on the night before Jesus died, Peter did the very thing that he promised he would not do. Peter had denied Jesus. Denied that he knew him or that he was associated with him in any way. Denied him three times. Now Jesus had told them this, that, told him that this was going to happen. But Peter said, it's never going to happen. I will never deny you, even if it costs me my life. But just as Peter said, or just as Jesus said, Peter had denied that he was Jesus. He was with Jesus three times. And you know, we can come up with all sorts of uh, reasons why in the moment it might have seemed like the right thing to do. You know, he wanted to help Jesus, and so if he got arrested, then he wouldn't have been able to help Jesus. Peter was probably trying to be cunning. But when it came down to it, Jesus' prediction came true. 
when a servant girl standing beside Jesus, uh, standing beside Peter around a charcoal fire in the high priest's courtyard, asked him if he was with Jesus. And we know that Peter realized what he had done. The rooster crowed. Jesus looked at him directly in the eye across the courtyard, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so it seems that he is ashamed. He's embarrassed. He hasn't shown the strength of courage or character or faith that he thought he would. He's broken his word and he's broken his relationship with Jesus. And, you know, he's just broken. And as our passage opens today, it doesn't seem like they have patched things up yet. And I wonder if you've ever been in that place. You know, someone important in your life, there's this unspoken thing, and it's just never been addressed, and you both know it's there, but the air hadn't been cleared, and it's kind of painful and awkward, and eye contact's just not the same. Have you been there? Have you been there with Jesus? Peter's back in Galilee now, and he's going grocery shopping. I mean, they got to eat, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think that Peter was abandoning the whole Jesus venture and, and returning to life as a fisherman, as some have suggested. I, I personally think he's just trying to figure some things out. And for Peter, fishing was a good way to do that. Whatever's going on with Peter, Jesus loves Peter too much to let the distance between them go on any longer. And so after a night of not catching anything, Jesus shows up on the shore. You may remember that the first time that that Peter met Jesus, it had been after a night where Peter hadn't caught anything. It was possibly very close to the same spot where they were right now. And Jesus had asked them in that first meeting to cast their nets, and they caught more fish than they could handle. And the scene is repeated here. With great kindness and wisdom, the resurrected Jesus seems to be taking Peter back to that moment when Peter first became his disciple. And when Peter makes it ashore, what is waiting for him but a charcoal fire? The smell would have been a a painful jog to Peter's memory of the fire in the courtyard where Peter had denied Christ. Jesus just seems to be orchestrating everything to set up the conversation after breakfast. Peter can run no more. He has to face the one that he has denied. He has to face the pain that he has caused. And the only way to heal the wound is to face it. So Jesus takes him aside and calls him, not by his nickname, not by Peter, but he calls him by his given name. Calls him by his pre-disciple name. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now let's be as as clear as we can about what's going on here. Jesus' intention is that he and Peter be reconciled. This is the good shepherd going after a wandering sheep. This is the Lord who has already died for Peter's sin and for the sin of the whole world. This is the Lord who has risen again to give new life and second chances to all wandering sheep everywhere. Jesus isn't asking Simon Peter 
for his own assurance, you know, as if to say, gosh, Peter, I thought you loved me, but then after that night, I'm not so sure. So do you love me? He's not asking for his own assurance. Jesus is asking Simon Peter to assure Simon Peter. And yet what Jesus does not ask is actually just as important as what he does ask. He does not ask, Simon, do you repent of your sin? Simon, are you sorry for what you've done? Simon, are you done with fear and ready for faith? Simon, have you learned your lesson? Simon, do you promise never to to deny me again? He asks, Simon, do you love me? He does not ask, Simon, do you believe my doctrine? Simon, do you promise to follow all my commandments? Simon, do you love the church? I mean, these are all so important things he could have asked, but none so foundational and fundamental as, Simon, do you love me? Can you see the kindness and the wisdom of the Lord in this singular question? For if Peter answers yes, then all the other questions are answered. Love of the Lord will press him to the grace of repentance. Love for the Lord will cause him, in fact, it already has caused him, sorrow for what he has done. Love for the Lord will cause him to give up the fear that he he had been for protecting himself and hedging his bets. And love for the Lord will shape the lesson that he learns. Simon, do you love me? Three times, he asks Simon. Three times, one for each time that Peter had denied the Lord. Three times, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times to press Peter to feel the grief of damaging that most precious relationship. Three times to restore Peter and to recommission him as his chief apostle. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that Jesus says that the way that Peter is to live out the love he professes for Jesus is to care for the people that Jesus loves. Jesus, full of grace, does not count Peter's sin against him. He doesn't burden Peter with an ounce of shame. He doesn't even revisit how Peter might have handled the situation differently. He just simply restores Peter with love and treats him as if he's never done anything wrong. One of my favorite scenes in all of literature may help to illustrate this grace. It comes from the early scenes of Victor Hugo's classic tale, Les Miserables. The story begins as the main character, Jean Valjean, is released after spending 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. And not surprisingly, when when Valjean is released, he is a bitter and hardened man. He's hungry, he's dirty, he's looking for a place to stay, and no one will accommodate this ex-con. And finally, by chance, he knocks on a door which happens to be the home of the local bishop. The bishop brings him in and treats him with surprising kindness. He feeds him and gives him a bed to sleep in. 
Valjean repays this kindness by stealing the bishop's silverware and taking off in the middle of the night. The next morning, Valjean is found and arrested and brought back to the bishop by the local police. And the bishop rushes across the courtyard, wagging his finger in the air. I'm very upset with you, Jean Valjean, very upset indeed, because you took the silverware that I gave you, but you forgot to take the silver candlesticks. And to everyone's surprise and amazement, he places a pair of silver candlesticks in the bag with the stolen silverware and hands it confidently back to Jean Valjean. And everyone is flabbergasted, especially Valjean. Because the bishop has given Valjean the very opposite of what he deserved. He who deserved condemnation for the crime he had committed was given instead bountiful blessing. And this grace, this love undeserved, changed the heart of Jean Valjean, shattering his anger and his surly self-pity and replacing it with warmth and deep concern for others. See, punishment under the law had not reformed Valjean. In fact, it had only made him worse. But the bishop's undeserved love changed him and gave him a desire out of gratitude to be a good man. It was the same for Peter with Jesus that morning on the shore. And it's the same for you and for me. I don't know who here holds a secret that haunts you, a memory that causes you shame. I don't know who here wonders if God could ever forgive you. I don't know who here is lukewarm. But I do know that Jesus walks into whatever prison we're in and jingles the keys of grace with the question, do you love me? Stand for a moment on that Galilean shore and smell the charcoal fire and look into the piercing eyes of Jesus and hear the question posed just to you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The question, this is the question for every uncertain disciple. This is the question for every sheep who has wandered from the fold. This is the question that chases away the guilt and the shame and a feeling of unworthiness. This is the question that answers any doubts we have about the lengths of His forgiveness or the depths of His grace. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He loves you too much to let the distance between you go on any longer. Do you love me? He has not given you the invoice for the silverware. He has given you instead the candlesticks. And He asks you the question that will answer every other question. My precious child, do you love me? Do you love me? If this hits you where you need to be hit, There'll be a prayer team that you can pray with during communion. Father Trent or I would love to spend some time with you. But let that question hang upon your heart. My precious child, do you love me? Amen.